Welcome to CTU Speaks Podcast, and we are on episode Teaching at a Distance Part 2. I'm your co-host, Andrea Parker. And I'm Jim Staros. And in this episode, we're going to interview the same teachers from the first episode of Teaching from a Distance, Carla Jones, Arthi Jerem, and Comfort Agbula, as they discuss how their perceptions and experiences of remote learning has changed after a few weeks of teaching. As for me, Jim, I will definitely say it has improved some. That's good. Some of my students are logging on. More are coming. Uh, instead of the 40% I said previously that are being actively engaged, I would say I'm at about 50. Um, but right. I would say anything less than 100 is not where I want it to be. I really True. want 100% of my students um working. I just got an email from one of my students saying that they're trying to get on. They're still having issues. So I had to work with them through that. And I'm sure that some other students are still having those experiences. So I appreciate more students logging on. Um, Some students log on and turn in work, but don't really come to the classes. Some students come to the classes and do not turn in the work. And then I have a combination of both. So it just reminds me or lets me know that nothing can replace direct in-classroom instruction for the pre-K through 12 population. True. What about you, Jim? Well, it's pretty much the same for me. Um, Like you said, it's gotten a little bit better. I'm probably around 50% as well. Um, again, not exactly where I want to be, but it's not terrible either. Um, I think, you know, it might've improved a little bit because the AP exam's coming up soon and I teach AP government and politics. That exam comes up, uh, May 11th. So it's only a few days away. So maybe they're kind of nervous about that and, you know, what they're going to do and all that kind of thing. But what is that test going to look like? Is it because I know it's normally in the classroom on paper, right? It is. It's normally in a classroom on paper. It's a three hour exam normally, uh, slightly over three hours. But and there's normally half of it's uh, multiple choice, half essay. But this time, um, because of the uh, whatchamacallit, the, the COVID lockdown, it's going to be only 45 minutes. And there's only two questions, two essay questions. That's it. Oh, wow. No multiple choice. Nope. No multiple choice. No, nothing like that. Okay. I guess that's to prevent cheating. Yeah, well, I guess so. It's, um, I don't know. It's really weird. Um, I guess they're doing the best they can with it, but um, overall it's going to be a way different format. So I'm not a hundred percent sure how the kids are going to do with something like that. Cause that's not what we've been preparing yeah. for all year. Well, let, let me know how that goes. I will. And speaking of teacher perspectives, we got some fan mail. We did. It's crazy. Very exciting. Very exciting. So we got a we got a fan mail letter from Alana Jacobs, a teacher um, here in the city. And she suggested Yay. some different things that we could do for future topics on the podcast. Um, first, she says okay. she loves the podcast. Of course, why wouldn't she? It's great. Of course. Everybody know, does. Right? Everybody They're loves better. it. Um, and she said she had a couple suggestions. One is on career and technical ed teachers. And different opportunities for CTE here in Chicago. I like that because yeah, 
Yeah, I like yeah, that because I feel like we have really moved from the vocational setting and we really need that because there are a lot of careers and everybody that does not want to go to a four university and we, we need skills. People need to be trained in more skills. So I just definitely agree with that because I feel like um, because there's an, an the achievement gap has a lot to do with an opportunity gap. And I think there's a lack of opportunities um, in certain fields that CPS used to offer that they do not offer anymore in schools. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Um, I think, you know, having that kind of vocational education is really important for kids. It helps them think in different ways, gets their mind active in different ways, gets their hands involved in what they're trying to learn and build, um, invokes all kinds of different learning methods and stuff like that. And it's really transferable to all kinds of different experiences and different um, careers they may be going into in the future. Yeah, and it builds their confidence level. Definitely. I I I had it, you know, I went to school out in the, the suburbs, like when I was growing up, um, not from around here. I'm not, I'm not a native Chicagoan. When I grew up out in the suburbs, you know, it was all, everybody was planning to go to college, but we still had all these career and technical education programs. And rightly so. It was really important. Yeah, I think it was. You know, you want to p- provide a diverse way, you know, a diverse education for those who want to go to full universities, those who want to go to technical schools, those who want to go straight into a career right after high school. We got to be able to provide diverse education because we have a diverse population of students. It only makes sense. Yep. And I I definitely think we could have a podcast on that in the future. So I I want to thank uh, Alana for suggesting that. And uh, she also suggested that we also maybe want to talk about issues of uh, gender and gender identity on the show as well. That's one of the topics we also haven't really dealt with. And we could uh, have an episode on that as well and how that affects students and teachers around the district. Great. And so just know, guys, if you want to have a certain mm-hmm. podcast, you have a great idea in mind and would like to share, just do what Alana did. Just email us. Mm-hmm. It's ctu speaks at org. That's what you do. And she even asked, how could she get an autograph of us? Because we're so famous. That's what she wants. Yeah, it'll happen. It'll happen. We're going to figure out a way to get our autograph out, even though we're on lockdown. We're going to and we'll do it safely. Yeah. You know, in the future, we have some all kind of CTU Speaks paraphernalia just for you. OK, so enough of CTU podcast hosts. Let's get to our interview. We are again here with Carla Jones, Arthi Jerem, and Comfort Abula. We interviewed them before um, remote learning has officially started. And now we are at the end of two weeks of remote learning and the beginning of our fourth quarter with remote learning. And we just want to follow up with these teachers and talk to them about their experience, of how um, how they experience remote learning in the official capacity. So we're going to let them introduce themselves. And we're going to get started. Hello, everyone. I'm Carla Jones. I am a fourth and fifth grade ELA teacher on the south side of Chicago. Hi, everyone. My name is Arthi Jerem. I'm a preschool teacher on the north side of Chicago. Hi, everyone. I'm Comfort Akbola. I'm a middle school writing teacher on the west side of Chicago. Nice. Thanks for coming back again. Yeah, so we have a lot of diverse voices, and we know that Jim Starros, uh, he teaches, uh, still teaching us class at King College Prep, and you're teaching history, correct, mm-hmm. Jim? I do. Just try to, at least. <laughs> 
Yes. And so we have a lot of diverse voices here and we just want to share our input about um, the experiences with remote learning. So, um, and again, just when you all speak, just um, say your name so our listeners can know who you are. So it has been two, you know, it has been two weeks into remote learning. So what is your experience with a new remote learning format? Uh, this is Carla, everyone. Um, so I am still in the technology phase of remote learning. Um, okay. My students are finally getting their technology and finally getting connected. Um, so I feel like my class is in separate phases to whereas the first phase was those students who already had the technology at home and me getting them connected the first week. And now this week, I'm having students who are just getting technology from the school and I am doing um, logins and connections um, to Google Classroom with them this week. So I still feel like I am in the technology phase of remote learning. Yeah, this is uh, Arthi, um, preschool teacher. And the first day last week when we started, I felt like a first day, first year teacher. Um, it was very difficult to try to teach preschool. Um, we're using Zoom on um with with everybody, I, normally my classroom, I um, you know allow people to just raise their hand or speak freely. You know whatever works for them. So I realized how important it was to have to use that fe- feature of, of mute all, which is not something um, I myself as a teacher like to do. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, wish I I know could I know sometimes, sometimes it's nice, but um, I feel like I'm learning how to have to teach in a different different way. Um, rather than waiting on what students are um, waiting on, like waiting on technology, things like that, I'm waiting on myself to figure out how to effectively teach them. Comfort, what about you? How, how has your first uh, couple weeks of remote learning been? So this is Comfort. The first couple of weeks were similar to what we've been doing the whole year. So I didn't have to worry so much about technology, but I also wanted to make sure I communicated with parents frequently and checked in and did sort of like wellness checks to see how parents were feeling about taking over sort of the instructional role in person. Since I was conducting online sessions, it was a different element for them. Okay. So what would you say and um, what has been like your number one challenge in remote learning? Uh, so this is comfort. My number one challenge was how quickly progress reports came with the rollout of the remote learning. So I had students that had difficulty managing their tasks and it just was very abrupt for them and right. just catching them up and telling them, reassuring them that it was the skill that they were focusing on and the feedback and not to worry so much about the grade because they were very worried about their grades. Right. That makes sense. Carla, what about you? How was your uh, experience in the first couple of weeks? Um, so I have been spending a lot of time still getting my students connected to the technology piece of it. So I've spent a lot of time um, with logins, some of my students are just finally getting their Chromebooks. So that has mm-hmm. been uh, a bigger issue than I thought it was going to be in regards to students receiving their technology and students getting logged in to Google Classroom and the various online platforms that we use. Okay. This is Arthi. Um, 
you know, I've had, uh, I think my number one challenge, um, one of them has been technology. One of the things for preschool is we've been able to give out computers to families who need them, but um, pre-K through second grade doesn't automatically get emails. We're now able to get email addresses. So families got computers, but they had no way to actually open them and access the the computer. So it was a lot of work on um, our end, our technology end, to kind of figure out how to help those families get, get connected. Um, where I feel like, you know, this was something that it should have been thought thought through a little bit more from a district end. If we're giving computers out to young children, how do they get connected um, instead of kind of backwards figuring that out? How can these problems that you all been dealing with be fixed and who can fix them? This is Arthi. Um, you know, the technology issue for my classroom has been fixed. Um, the technology coordinator at my school was able to help um, get families onto um, kind of a, a guest network so that they could get on. And we have um, email addresses for um, preschool now. But honestly, overall, I feel like it needs to be done on a district level so that schools aren't individually trying to figure this out. Because, you know, even when a school has a technology um, teacher and a coordinator, that person is also teaching classes. This is all overwhelming for all of us. And that that information should be coming from a district level. Right. I think that's a tough question uh, because I know for my school, the technology was there. It was just a matter of connecting parents to administration when the school was open and still adhere to social distancing. So quite naturally, like all parents couldn't come up to the school at the same time. Um, so parents were having to schedule appointments and I know it was difficult because a lot of my parents are essential workers and so they were working during the school day. And so them being able to coordinate with the school times that administration was there where they could come and pick up the Chromebooks was difficult. So I honestly don't know what the solution could have been to make that an easier process for our families. Right. Yeah, I would think they would have at least have some multiple more, you know, multiple hours or have some way where parents can sign up at different hours, not just a lot of uh, schools. I had two or three hour blocks and they were in the morning. A lot of them did not have evening blocks, uh, which can accommodate parents. And at least in that first week, maybe there could be administration or somebody in the building, um, you know, in a safe manner that could accommodate the parents in the evening hours as well. Because parents, some parents are essential workers. That is correct. Right. Um, so based, again, learning, remote learning is new is new for a lot of people, not just CPS teachers, but people all across the district, because even a lot of colleges who have not done remote learning are doing it now. But what has remote learning revealed about our particular school system? Um, this is comfort. So I think that it's revealed that the digital divide is very strong and even if we consider that students are getting technology or internet access, there hasn't been a comprehensive technology plan before this. And a lot of schools had to bargain with either they're going to have crisis intervention teams or access to technology for their right. school during the regular school session. So this aspect has made it for teachers to fly the plane while you're building it. <laughs> exactly. And I think it also speaks, this is Carla, I think it also speaks to um, how, how disconnected our families are 
in regards to technology. I had a lot of parents who were having difficulty doing basic um, logins and navigating um, Google Classroom. And so for me, I'm already thinking about next year, not only do I want my students to be well-versed in Google Classroom, but I need to have some workshops for my parents so that my families can understand Google Classroom and all that is entailed with Google Classroom and Google Meets um, so that they can, in turn, help their child at home. I like what you said, Carla. That's a good point because I'm just thinking about communication with parents. Um, It's been really hard to reach even some of my parents. Um, Phone calls are not always the best because um, phone numbers change um, um, and it's it's very difficult. Uh, So I just feel like, you know, maybe parents need to have more of a, um, maybe CPS to implement a way where parents can update their information easier. Because I know we got those emergency forms that are printed and, you know, we got to put those digitally, but maybe some kind of way where parents can have access where they can update their information as soon as it changes. And just multiple forms of contact, email uh, and phone number and any other kind of platform where we can be able to reach out to parents as soon as possible. Yeah. It, you know, I I was wondering, like, how how is your guys' contact with parents for report card pickup for parent conferences? Because I know at my school it was it was significantly lower than it normally is. Um, usually, the springtime we don't; it's a little bit lower than it is in the fall. But um, I had a couple teachers that I know personally that said all day they only had one parent call in for about five minutes, literally, and that was it. Another teacher said they had zero parents contact them. I'm wondering how much of that is that difficulty you were mentioning about parents being familiar with how to log in and, and being on the computer. This is Arthi. Um, I did mine via the phone. I didn't do mine um, via Zoom or Google Classroom. And I had a pretty good turnout. Um, my principal is allowing us to do them, you know, over um, a number of days, not just um, yesterday, which I think has helped because, you know, parents have more than one children. And, um, you know, it's been difficult to kind of coordinate that, but I found that doing it on the phone was ve- was very helpful for the families. Yeah, unfortunately, I only had, this is Andrea, I only had one parent. I had uh, one parent reach out to me um, by email and uh, we set up a, I set up a time for her or multiple times for her to reach out to me, but she didn't. And then I had one parent that I was able to talk to for about a good 10 minutes and it was very productive. So yeah, it's kind of hard. And so I don't know if it was because because all the parents have my email address. We put all uh, our information on our school website. All the children have our email addresses. Um, and I talk with my students the day before and the week prior. So it is a challenge. But I do like um, what, you're, what you're doing, Arthi, in terms of having it out over several days. Um, that might be a good practice for the future in general. Yeah. I also found it interesting just to, this is Arthi again, um, to do those conferences. Because, you know, for me, I typically talk about what their child is, um, you know, skills that they've gained, what they could work on, what they could do at home, and how we can help at school. And that part was something that I kind of had to re really redo because it, you know, typically working hands on in a small in a small group. Um, and with with pre K, doing small group on a computer is very very different than doing small group in in person. So just like the feedback that I was giving parents had to change a lot. 
So I know we said there was a low turnout yesterday with parents. And I know some of you all are doing uh, parent conference over the next couple of days. And that was a low turnout. But how? what about with your kids? How has the turnout of attendance been with your students in terms of your online platform teaching or even turning in assignments? Hi, this is Comfort. So out of 120 students, maybe 20 don't check in regularly or turn in work. Um, it's because they're used to doing it, doing their assignments electronically, that they've adapted pretty readily to it. Um, and then the students that aren't keeping up with work, since it's a smaller number, I'm able to call mm-hmm. parents. And it may take a few phone calls to connect. But I've been able to connect with a few and learn about the home environment that's going on because some of them are essential workers. So they don't have the time to monitor for homework completion all the time. Uh, This is Carla. It is getting better for me. I will definitely say that the uh, rate of Completion of assignments in Google Classroom has gotten better. And I had my first Google Meets with students this week. And that was, it was just great to see them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know they likewise in turn, it was just, it was just good to be with one another, even if it was virtually. So I will say that it has gotten better. Uh, I am hoping to increase my percentage as the weeks um, continue on just with my students getting connected with technology. Uh, but that has been something that I have honestly struggled with, making sure that my students are completing the assignments in a manner that would be helpful for their academic growth. Right. This is Arthi. Um, turnout has been um, pretty great for my um, Zoom morning meeting calls. You know, I think part of it is, you know, the families really want the young children to learn. And also it kind of gives them a little bit of a break, um, you know, and I think that's mm-hmm. a nice thing when they're working from home or they're essential workers. So they're kind of more um, apt to getting them, making sure that those kids are getting on to the calls. I've also been using um, Seesaw. And last week I had 55 projects that were um, turned in out of um, 20 kids. I assigned three projects. I think it's been successful because you're actually able to record voice comments back to um, the children. And they're really loving to get that, that feedback of, you know, just, I saw that you wrote your name this this many times. I'm noticing that your lines are a little bit squiggly. And then to be able to talk to them about holding um, a pencil in a right way, it's um, it, it's in some sense allowing me to give more direct feedback than it would using our teaching strategies gold system that is pretty cumbersome and the little children don't know how to read. That's something that's more for parents. And this is allowing um, more feedback. So I feel like the kids are excited to do more projects. Interesting. You know, looking at uh, some of the reports, not just from Chicago, but around the country, um, this is one of the problems they've had everywhere is uh, a lack of attendance or a lack of participation where you've got half or even less of the students regularly participating or regularly engaging. And I think part of it is the way CPS rolled it out, at least for the the upper grades in high school, They, the students that were told you can't have your grade be hurt. Well, they were like, well, screw it. I'm not, you know, I've already got a B, you know, that's fine. And, and it's really difficult to keep them on track when they know there's nothing I can do about it. You know, they don't turn it in. I'm like, eh, you know, whatever. Um, I think that that was kind of not 
I, I understand why they did it to a certain extent, but I think there were better ways they could have done it. And had we worked more collaboratively, I think it would have turned out to be a better result. Yeah, I think there's something that's definitely need to be improved upon because it's um, it's real different. I would say on average, I would say I have about 30, 35% participation um, with my classes combined, six through eight, uh, with eighth grade probably being the highest. And I don't know because they are really concerned with you know, just graduation and making sure they their pet they pass or just the level of maturity. Um, so I, I don't know. I have some students that come to class all the time, but they may not turn in the assignment. And I have just the opposite where I have children do not come to my Google Meets or my Google Classroom sessions, but yet they may turn in the assignment. Um, so it's it's just it's it's different, it's weird. So it's just something that we have to think about. And I like um based on what Comfort said, that's something that's been a part of her teaching and instruction, not just in her class, but school-wide throughout the school year. If we return to school in September, hopefully that's something that I definitely feel that needs to be implemented where children are definitely comfortable with technology and they understand the expectation of technology. And so if something like this happens or they're just absent for the day and they can still be able to log in, that this is something they can be able to do. So we just have to get our children in a culture of understanding how to be self-motivated and to learn when they are in a remote environment. And this is, this is still school. So I don't know. It was the best thing to say that the grades were just to improve. I mean, I, I totally understand it because we cannot necessarily ascertain uh, who's the, the most accountable while they're at home. We don't know that they do have the technology. They're just not logging in or they don't have the technology. They don't have the assistance that they need because we uh, know that caregivers are really important right now while they're at home. So, I get both sides of, you know, have you know having it be an enrichment and not hurting their grade but helping it. But I also want children to know they need to be accountable. Um, especially if they were given a laptop, they have to be accountable with the assignments. So, Arthi, I know that you do have pre-K. So, just think about their needs. How how are their needs different than that of older learners? You know, for pre-K. Everything is learning. They're learning how to be in school. They're learning how to hold a pencil, how to um, walk to the bathroom, how to um, take turns, how to listen to somebody. And um, it's definitely been um, challenging. And also I've found ways to to help pre-K students. Um, one of the big things we work on in pre-K, especially um, within CPS with our creative curriculum, is working on uh, independence. That part has been challenging because um, parents want to help, and I love that they want to help. But what I noticed on Zoom calls is, like, you know, we typically do, like, a question of the day to kind of help with critical thinking. And kids who typically answer questions, you see them kind of turn their head to their parent, kind of wondering what I should say, what I shouldn't say. And I feel like we're having to almost kind of, like, reteach them um, how to make sure that their voice matters, that their thoughts matter, um, and that they um, kind of encouraging them to talk, but also just learning as a teacher how to teach them certain things. So sometimes I'll say, look at me. They don't know to look at the computer. You know, again, they're looking this way. They're looking to the right or left. So I'm having as a teacher to have to say, make sure you're looking at your iPad. Make sure you're looking at your computer. Things that we take for granted with older kids. 
I also feel like one big thing is that as a district, I feel like even with report cards, um, with even figuring out like possible gradings of pass or fail, um, you know, things like that, pre-K seems to be like left off of that. You know, it's, it's, we're growing pre-K so much as a district, but we're still like pre-K and special ed seem to just constantly be left off of kind of having to refigure things out, you know? No, it's true. But we're all in the same boat now because yeah. we know that remote learning is going to be the platform of learning for the remainder of the school year mm-hmm. as our governor announced this past weekend. So knowing that and having that in mind, what do you expect the remainder of the school year to look like? Hi, this is Comfort. So one of my bigger concerns is for eighth grade to stay engaged. And I know that as it comes closer towards summer, even during the school year, they tend to fall off where they've checked out. So I've tried to implement some cool games or cool clubs that are more interest-based. So that way they're still in tune and I'm still able to check in with them and hold them accountable for academics, but also provide them with a structure where they can still be social. This is Carla. I would expect for my attendance on Google Classroom and Google Meets to increase even as the school year winds down. I am looking at infusing a lot more projects and learning that incorporates everyday living. And so allowing my students to engage in those type of activities and then coming to a Google Meets virtually to be able to discuss those activities, I'm hoping will increase the participation and completion rate. Um, with these various projects with my students. So I'm hopeful that as we continue on with these weeks, even though the school year is winding down, that my my, uh, participation will increase. Yeah, this is Arthi. And I feel like what Carla is saying, I feel hopeful also. I feel like the more we check in on families, um, the more that they seem to um, get involved. I'm still trying to do, you know, a platform of some Um, virtual learning, some things that families can do at home, um, some whole group, small group. Next week, we're starting um, a small group lunch with um, the the teachers, me and my assistant. And we're also starting um, a Friday night family um, kind of calming night. So we're going to do some meditation and yoga together for um, families who want to do that. So trying to do things to also help help the families too, because this is a lot on them. And I think the the newness of it, um, just as they get connected with Google Meets and are submitting assignments on online, I understand like I have intermediate students, but they are excited. Like they are super excited to um, be on these meetings. And I think they there's just a sense of being grown. And, and this is what okay. I see my parents doing. So I think that that in and of itself, the newness of it, is going to help propel the level of engagement also. Okay. And as we head back or hopefully head back into the school year or, you know, in September, what do we need for the classroom and what do we need for terms of technology to make our, to ensure the success of our students? Is there going to be a new, are we expecting like a new normal, like some things that may have occurred last year or times past that can no longer go on? And if it's, and if so, what does that look like? What is that? And what do we need technology-wise to ensure that if something happened like this again, like we may have snow days or inclement weather days and we are home, what needs to be done in advance to make sure that the expectations are set for our kids' learning? 
This is Carla, and I think bare minimum, not only do students need to be one-to-one at school, but they need to be one-to-one at home. So students need to have their own Chromebook or iPad, some means to complete um, work online at home, aside from being at school. I think that's like bare minimum what students need to have, because I think that will allow us to forego a lot of the issues that we're facing now in regards to technology and in regards to students being familiar with the technology being used at school. That's a good point. This is Arthi. I mean, as a preschool teacher, early childhood teacher, I mean, you know, continuing to use technology a lot, you know, kind of is it's hard. It's um, it's not developmentally um, appropriate. We're using it now. So, you know, to continue using it a lot as we, as we get back, I understand, you know, the, the point of it. And I think it is important that kids have access to iPads that they're, they're able to learn things. I think at, at bare minimum, like making sure that preschool students have um, email addresses in case anything happens. But I think more so for for my school when and for pre-K in general, when we go back, I think like the the cleanliness issue of the the schools are are top top priority. Absolutely. Yes, I'm talking about every desk clean daily or sometimes twice daily. We're talking about every surface um, cleaned daily, whether desk, lunchroom tables, that we just cannot take um, cleanness for granted ever again. No. no, I mean, we have to, we clean every little thing. We clean, um, you know, the Legos, um, crayons, pencils daily, and we don't get those supplies, you know? I mean, and so even like as far as getting cleaning supplies and getting masks and gloves for um, educators um, in the younger grades is really important. Oh, yeah. Hi, this is Comfort. Um, one thing that I really enjoyed was the parent-teacher conferences because it was so flexible for parents and they had more time to actually get feedback on how their child is performing, just making it more accommodating for parents, not dependent on a specific day. And it was more flexible for their work schedule. Okay. Uh, are there any lasting thoughts that you want to uh, get out before we end the podcast? You were all very helpful today. Thank you for those insights again. Uh, for these first two weeks, yeah, thanks. Uh, that's definitely important. And I hope that whoever hears any powers that be will t- take some of your thoughts um, and your experiences into consideration. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But any lasting thoughts? This is Arthi. I mean, I just feel like no matter how well, you know, a family and a child, you don't you're not living in their circumstances. And the idea of giving out grades for me it just feels so wrong. And even the idea of, you know, giving like grades if it helped also feels wrong. It feels like an an issue of 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 equity. So you've got a computer, you have um parents who are able to help you more. Um so hey, your grade gets padded and somebody else doesn't have that and you know, their grade doesn't get padded and I think like everybody's just doing the best that they can. I think like if you get through this, it's like, yay for getting through the coronavirus. Like that, it's just, I don't know. Like San Francisco's just giving everybody all A's. And I feel like in some ways, I feel like that's what we should be doing. Okay. So you're saying that everybody get A's forever because we are going through a crisis right now that you're saying grades should be the priority. Participation should be good enough. Yes. I agree. Well, thank you all so much, um, Ms. Arthi and Ms. Carla and Ms. Comfort yeah, for coming on the show a second time to explain your experiences with 
remote learning. So thank you all for being here and just sharing your perspectives and your insight. I'm sure people will benefit from knowing what you are going through. And again, those who have influence, uh, hopefully they'll take what you said into consideration to making sure that we have a safe remainder of the school year and an upcoming school year be safe and productive for teacher, parents, as well as students. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for everything. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of CTU Speaks Teaching from a Distance Part 2, where we heard from teachers and their experience on remote learning. And how it evolved. And on the next episode, we had a special treat. We What do we got? We have the Director of Professional Development for the Chicago Teachers Union Foundation Quest Center, Walter Taylor. And he is going to tell us how remote learning should be done. So stay tuned. Um, but... Before that, if you want to contact us for any reason, don't forget to give us a call at 312-467-8888 or email us like Alana did at ctuspeaks at ctulocal1.org. Yes. And tell everybody about the podcast. Put us on Facebook. Repost our podcast if you can. And we thank you again. And you'll be hearing from us soon. Have a wonderful week. See ya.